everybody. My name is Sir Topham Hatt, and it is my pleasure to inform you that you're about to listen to the Right on Track podcast. All aboard! And welcome to what is the 34th episode of Right on Track, the podcast where we talk about all things Thomas the Tank Engine and friends. My name, of course, is Tom Parry. There is also a second Tom who has been part of this podcast since the very beginning. He is Tom Denham. Hello, Tom. Hello. It's good to be here. And, of course, we've got our third, but not least significant, host. And that is, of course, the one and only Connor Jonas. Not the least important. I feel loved. I feel loved. Uh, yeah, it has been quite a while since the three of us were last together. A lot has happened, but we're really looking forward to today's discussion because we've got four absolutely ripper episodes from Series 5 of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends to talk about in today's episode. Connor, why don't you tell us what those stories are? Sure. The four episodes that we're going to be covering today are... Lady Hat's Birthday Party, James and the Trouble with Trees, Gordon and the Gremlin, and By George. So, four wonderful episodes there, and each of their titles have a character name in it. They do, yeah. Mm. Why don't we just jump right into it with Lady Hat's Birthday Party? Well, we may as well. That's what we're here to do. And in the clip you're about to hear, you'll understand why Lady Hat's Birthday Party is such a special occasion, and what Sir Topham and Lady Hat are doing to celebrate it. It was Lady Hat's birthday and Sir Topham had a new outfit. It's perfect for my birthday party, said his wife. You'll look splendid, Topham, dear. And I'll wear my finest hat just for you, he replied. Your birthday is a great occasion. It is, so don't be late. Don't worry, my dear, I shall be spick and span and right on time. I love how... <laughs> I love how egotistical um, Lady Hat sounds and that, she, because she knows the importance of her birthday party and she's not afraid to say out loud how important it is. She's confident. Lady Hat seems like one of those people that you'd expect to see in Downton Abbey. She has the right level of class... Yes. And a little bit of crass as well. It, it, it's it's definitely comical, and I think Angelus definitely brings this out here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first time that Lady Hat has spoken? It is indeed, yes. So Lady Hat, she has appeared in stories in the past, but this is the first time we've actually heard her speak. I do know that this is actually the first time that Lady Hat has been referred to by name. That is true. We'll do a brief synopsis of the episode. So, as we've heard, it's Lady Hat's birthday party, and Sir Topham, rather than take the train, like he usually would, he decides to drive himself to the party, which is being held at Kirk Ronan Station, which, of course, was introduced in the last lot of stories we covered. And on the way there, he gets a puncture in one of the tyres of his car, so he decides to hitch a ride with Caroline. And the reason why he doesn't change his tyre is because, in his words, it will dirty his suit, and that will never do. So (laughs) next he um, hitches a ride with Caroline, and she, of course, breaks down because that's what she does. It's Caroline. (laughs) Yes. It's Uh, so characteristic. Yeah, we're only two episodes of Caroline. This is only the second episode of Caroline, and already we've established a cliche, which is that she breaks down. Also, 
I have a bit of an apology to make because when we reviewed Train Stops Play, I said that Caroline was based on an Austin Maxi, and I had that completely wrong because she's actually based on a Morris Oxford. There you go. So, Morris and Austin, of course, they were bought out by British Leyland. They became basically the same company. We now know that Caroline is based on a Morris Oxford. Now, where were we? Oh, yes, that's right. We've got a story to talk about. So, (laughs) after Caroline breaks down... Uh, George the Steamroller comes along and George's driver offers the Pack Controller a lift and as they're making their way to Kirk Ronan, he's splashed with oil and coal dust and all sorts and eventually something snaps. We don't know what, but something snaps and George finds himself veering off the road into a muddy pond and out the Fat Controller flies into said muddy pond. So he does not look a pretty picture at all. But luckily for him, Thomas the Tank Engine is taking on water at a nearby siding and he's asked for a lift and the driver says that our fireman's been taken ill so then the Fat Controller decides that he'll be the fireman because, you know, he's all dirty so... He may as well, and he's better off, you know, getting to the party on time and being dirty than being late and dirty. So, I guess you could say, Denim, that it's, uh... No. What's the term I'm looking for here? No. Better late than never. (laughs) No. (laughs) Thank you for letting me indulge, Patty. You two are despicable. Mic drop. And when, 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 oh dear. When uh, Thomas Tankington does eventually arrive at Kirk Roden, he's there just in time. The Fat Controller is there to greet his wife at exactly three o'clock, and rather than admonish her husband for dressing in a filthy manner, she just says, well, this is rather nice. And then the episode ends. Now, this is a story of... Many first, as we've mentioned, it's the first time that Lady Hat is referred to specifically by name. It's the first time that she's spoken on her own. Um, it's also, I believe, the very first story to centre simply on one of the human characters. Yes. Yes, that is true. Mm. So, unlike the wonderful story of the dear Tom Tipper, the postman, mm. that story more so focused on Percy. Mm worrying about a human character but this one actually just follows a human character in their story and that is one reason why i really like this episode and season five overall because in this season they uh, tried to break so many barriers in what they did and trying to break the norm so we got plenty of brand new shots, brand new locations, and a whole bunch of different characters. And it was set up in such a way that really ties, I feel, the rest of the show together. It really does. Like this episode, we have Sir Topham hanging out with Caroline, which we would never expect. Then Caroline and George, and George and Sir Topham. And then we even got some amazing character arc, you could say, with Sir Topham working as the fireman for Thomas. Mm. And the only other time we've seen him in a similar role is in Cole, all the way back in season one, where 
He wasn't even acting as a fireman. He was just riding on the footplate with Henry. Mm, very true. One of the things we've discussed in the past is how season five, it adds that human element yeah. to the island of Sodor, which was missing somewhat from Reverend Audrey's stories and the stories they adapted into television. But in this one, we do see the human characters. We see the fat controller conversing with George's driver, we see him conversing with Thomas's driver as well, we see him conversing with his wife, but you'll see it more throughout the season, we'll enter that debate as to where the human element stops and where the autonomy of the engine starts. But yeah, anyway, that's a discussion for another time. I think one of the other things that is definitely brought to the attention here, we do see a passion throughout the previous seasons. But there is a lot of action on the road here as well because we have the fact mm. controller's car and Caroline and George. May I say, like, first of all, Caroline and George is a duo I never would have anticipated. But it's really quite refreshing to see those characters away from the steam engines in the limelight. And I love the banter between Caroline and George as well, how he says to her, call yourself a car, you're a disgrace to the road. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you should go and get yourself scrapped. It's like, jeez. Yeah. It's these kinds of different interactions that really help build a character. Mm. Because you can put a character between a hundred different situations, but... The times when you see their character really grow is when you see them interact with other characters. Yeah. Very true. Because George, we know him to support the roads. However, as evident by Caroline, he doesn't just support the roads. He wants the roads to be the best. Mm. He wants it to be the elite. Yeah, the elite. And he sees Caroline as a kind of obstacle to that elite future. Mm, yeah. That he does. I have to say, one of my main criticisms with Lady Hatch's birthday party is that we see the limitations of the figurines that they use. Because well, all we're seeing really is just still images of characters or um, characters that are standing still while stuff is happening around them. For example, there's the great scene where George squirts oil onto the fat controller, and it's just his figurine with a surprised face and oil coming out of him, which is... Yeah, someone was just there with a squirt gun. Yeah, it, it, it looks yes. great, but but you see, in between scenes like that, we've just got Sir Topham facing one direction while he's talking to another person, and I think that could be improved, say, if they did Postman Pat style, they just move the characters about a little bit, like the arms or the body, so that we could tell that someone's talking, or that just have the mouth move every now and then so just have a different mouth to sort of give us the indication that another character is talking So, but other mm. than that, I mean the episode is a blast. Oh yeah Some of my favourite things about this episode is that one of the opening shots is with Thomas and Percy and then later Birdie and they're at Farquhar. They are, that what you're seeing there is uh, the shunting yard, which is off to the side of where the station is. And this is a location that we haven't seen since Thomas Goes Fishing all the way back in series one of the program. Yeah. And it's such a unique area because it's so flat and barren around it, yet you've got the recognisable Farquhar station there. Not for Farquhar, that's merely a stutter. <laughs> um, now, I have got a few questions about this episode, mm -hmm. such as on how the narration says that Sir Topham had a new outfit. A new outfit implies 
a new style of clothes. If you said a new suit, I would let this slide. Except it is the exact same clothes that he's worn in practically every other one of his appearances. And that's the funniest thing about it. <laughs> it's, oh yes, I'll get I'll get dressed up for you. And he just puts on a hat. But, but, but I think, like, the gag would have worked better, say, if he had a wardrobe for the exact same suit. This is almost completely off-topic, but uh, one of my favourite moments in the Peanuts movie, which came out a few years ago, was Charlie Brown looking through his wardrobe, and he had this selection of yellow shirts with black stripes on them, and he was deciding which one he should wear today. I mean, if we had a gag like that in an episode like this, it would just be brilliant. Oh, yeah. It'd be the icing on the cake. It would be, absolutely. But uh, as it stands, you know, Connie, you make a valid point. He's got a brand new suit. It looks like every other suit he owns. So, you know, (laughs) why did he even go to the effort? Just go to the dry cleaners. It will look brand new. (laughs) Some people are creatures of habit, though. True, true. In this whole sequence, I really do like seeing inside the Fat Controller's house and his office. I think they're beautiful sets. Mm, and even inside of Kirk Ronan. When I was lamenting the fact that the characters don't move, it made me think of the scene at the very end of this episode, where, um, or the story rather, where the doors close in on the camera. And I thought, yeah. if there was more of that sort of animation in the rest of the story, then, yeah, it would really elevate it, I feel. Yeah, this could have been a real opportunity to try some new things, I guess, in terms of um, direction and production. But mm. at the same time, I could see why they would want to stick to the same style that they've done because they wouldn't want to deviate. But at the same time, I feel like... There's an opportunity to do anything like James Goes Buzz Buzz is a perfect example of something that deviates from, I guess, quote unquote, the Thomas norm, Mm. but it's still so memorable for what it is. Yeah. Very true. My absolute favourite shot in this entire episode is when Caroline breaks down because it uses something that is never used again in the show. And that is the stuttering, speed up and slow down use of footage to simulate Caroline breaks down. Yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it is a wonderful shot that almost perfectly encapsulates that feeling of when a car is on its last legs and it's just sort of trying to make it to the next hurdle. Oh, yeah, I had one of those cars. That was an awful time in my <laughs> life. <laughs> but, but it is absolutely amazing. Like, I mean, whilst they may not have had moving character mounts... There was so much more effort put into this episode, such as a large-scale George. Mm, true. Which yeah. he wasn't ever used before, and I don't believe he's ever used again. He's never used again. There are tons of tiny little details, such as the individual flowers that the Fat Controller picks up. And I need to mention this, that there is a meme in this episode, which is oh, yes. by a lot of the internet. Which is when the fat controller walks up to Thomas and the narration goes, Thomas had never seen such a mess. No, well, actually, the correct narration is Thomas had never seen the fat controller in such a mess. Exactly. It is an abbreviation. Yeah, but when they do the subtitles, of course, they abbreviate everything to make it simpler for younger viewers. And that there has been used as a reaction along with the Thomas had never seen such. 
before, <laughs> which is actually completely made up. He never says that, of course. Exactly, exactly. Or it was time for Thomas to go. He had seen everything. Which is actually a direct quote there. I'm noticing a pattern on how a lot of more widely used Thomas memes are of Thomas seeing something. Ah, He'd seen yeah. everything. He'd never seen such a mess. And he'd never seen such a horrible policeman. I feel that the internet memesters have only scraped the surface of all these Thomas images and quotes because I found so many just by going back and watching the episodes we've been reviewing over the past year or so and it just astonishes me. I mean, people should be using more Thomas the Tank Engine in their forum weapons and meme creation and what have you. Oh, definitely. I agree. Definitely. Like, I mean, there are even just some facial expressions. Mm, that that one of Gordon from Wrong Road, I think <laughs> you could use that for pretty much anything. Yes. Then, of course, Fat Controller Bruin character arc of him acting fireman arrives at Kirk Ronan Station, and then we actually have probably one of the best large-scale figure shots in the entire show, in my opinion, which is... When the doors open at three and all the members of Lady Hat's birthday party are looking straight at the camera with Lady Hat front and centre. And there is just such a joyous feel to it because it is a birthday and Lady Hat is all done up nice with brilliant attention to detail. And then you've got all the other characters that are looking as well. And then you've got all the tiny details in the set around it. Mm. One of my favourite details, actually, is when the door opens at three and the fat controller is standing there, shorter than everyone else with his comically large bouquet of flowers, there are two portraits in the background. And this is railway nerd portrait because the one on the left is a portrait of Robert Stevenson, well known for being the head engineer of the famous rocket. Pretty much the grandfather of the modern railways. Yes, yes. Mm. And then the one on the right is of Isambard Kingdom Brunel, who was a civil engineer that designed boats, bridges, tunnels, and was the first chief engineer of the Great Western Railway. And he really pioneered it as well. So I love that detail there on how they've got these famous railway figures taking place in Kirk Ronan Station. Now, there is one final note I have about this episode, and that is, it is Caroline's last speaking role. No! Sad. Caroline does appear again, I believe, up to season nine. Mm-hmm. There you go. They really need to bring Caroline back. They really do. Caroline would be a great character. Mm. Like, I mean, especially to even capitalise on merch-wise. Yes, for sure. Have a dreary car character. All right. Who would voice Caroline in the modern series, do you reckon, Connor? Catherine Tate. Oh, brilliant choice. Well done. Catherine Tate, who played Donna Noble in Doctor Who. That is a very solid choice indeed, Master Jonas. I think we should just jump straight into the scores. Um, I'll lead us off. I think this is a solid 9 out of 10. As I mentioned, I think they could have been more creative with the animation rather than just using still images. But other than that, yeah, completely solid episode and definitely considered a classic, I would think. Denim, what's your score? Yeah, well, look, I, I I love how far this episode deviates, I guess, from the Thomas norm. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to give it an eight. You know, I'm going to agree with you, Parry, on how this episode is definitely a nine out of ten for me. It does so many thirsts 
it has got so many unique character growths in it, all packed into even just five-second interactions, that it's a perfect 9 out of 10. Not a 10 out of 10, but a 9 out of 10. It's golden. Okay, then. Now it's time to jump into our second story of today's episode, and that is James and the Trouble with Trees. Next morning, as James was being repainted, Henry had an accident. If you can't push trucks properly, Henry, why not talk to a tree instead? You know how much you like the forest. As a matter of fact, Bossy Boiler, the Fat Controller is inspecting the island for trees that are too close to the line. He's worried they might cause trouble. Ha! laughed James. If I came upon a tree, I'd just push it aside. Really? replied Henry. If there's anything that Michael Angelis does particularly well, I guess in Thomas overall, but particularly here, it's the voice of James. I love his accentuation. Yes. But I also love this, there's this chemistry and conflict between Henry and James, which we only see a very little bit of in the TV series. It's really nice to see here. Mm, For sure. This feels very season one, Henry. Yeah, Mm. I'd agree. But this story isn't about Henry. It is about James and specifically the trouble with trees. So this story starts off with Thomas working hard at a coal mine and then goes home and James is bragging about a new coat Mm. of paint. Later, when James is being repainted, Henry has a little accident and James mocks him saying, hey, if you can't handle trucks, talk to the trees. Henry then brings up the topic on how the trees are currently being inspected all around the island because they could cause trouble to an engine. Then afterwards, James thinks he's going to pull the express, but he's not. He needs to pull a goods train. There's a small interaction in there with Percy, Terence, and Thomas. There is an absolute savage line thrown from the trucks. Mm. And then eventually, as he's pulling the, quote, extremely heavy goods train, even though it's like five or six cars long, a tree falls down on the line in front of him. There's a big climax and the tree nearly crushes him. But luckily, Thomas comes and saves the day. Mm, That's the important part, because remember, at the beginning of the story, James makes fun of Thomas for being filthy, essentially. And then um, it's, of course, Thomas to the rescue. So there's no comeuppance here. There's no ha-ha, look who's saving who. It's like um, Thomas has assessed the situation. He knows what he needs to do. And then he just gets out of there. Thomas is serious. Yeah, it's a a very sincere Thomas the Tank Engine we're seeing on this occasion. Now, one thing you skipped, Connor, is that James is actually on his way to collect some coaches when he meets with Thomas, Percy and Terence. And when he does collect the coaches, the Fat Controller says to him, I need you to get some trucks. And James <laughs> responds, you know, quite arrogantly, but sir, <laughs> I'm just being repainted. It's beautiful. <laughs> now, Connor, how does the conflict resolve itself? Well, the conflict really resolves itself. After Thomas saving James, they just have a little talk in Wellsworth Yard to each other saying thank you and trees are dangerous. And then Edward pulls up and then the end. Mm. What's most interesting about that ending is how Edward comes along in the place of the Fat Controller. It's like, and that's really something I've noticed with Series 5, is that Edward is nowhere to be seen. He's, he's just there occasionally, and then he's off again. 
One thing I've noticed in this episode and how we get lots of character interactions. Mm. Of course, you've always got interactions at the sheds. But then afterwards, you get an interaction with James and Henry, mm-hmm. James and Thomas, Percy, mm-hmm. Terence, Edward, mm-hmm. Fat Controller. The only member of the main cast that isn't in this episode is Gordon. Yeah. He's there, but he doesn't say anything. It is such an amazing use of the engines. And again, it makes it feel like everything is tied together. On how this is just a small railway on an island off the coast of England. Very true. Now, this story, we mentioned that the trees are being inspected because they're too close to the line. This goes back to Henry's Forest in the third series. Yes. Because the creator of Thomas, Reverend Audrey, was not very fond of that episode because in his mind the trees were too close to the line and they needed to be further back. So this story is sort of hoping to address that criticism and sorting to rectify or retcon what happened in Series 3. Unfortunately, the Reverend would not be able to see it because this went to air in 1998 and he passed away in 1997. What's interesting about this episode is that Duck was originally supposed to be in Thomas's place. Ah. You think about when Thomas comes to the rescue and he doesn't tease him. It's very much a Duck trait that we see here. Yeah, that, 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 that is a Duck characteristic because it's the Great Western way, not the wrong way. It's also inspired by a real event experienced by the... Series 5 railway consultant David Mainment when he was a station master and he noticed a tree slide down an embankment and stand upright on the train tracks between two stations. Mm-hmm. So there, there is some similarities to it and even more so to the 1970 film of The Railway Children uh, which had a very similar climax of trees sliding down embankment. The Railway Children of course being based off the book of the same name by Edith mm, Nisbet. That it is. And we should also note as well, three of the four stories we're covering today have been co-written by David Maidment, with the sole exception being by George, which I find mm, very yeah. interesting. One yes. interesting goof that I really particularly mm. like in this episode is when Thomas is pulling James away from the tree, you can see the head of Thomas's fireman rotate around to look behind. It's very odd. And I didn't notice this until recently watching it. But if you go back and watch it, it's there. I have never noticed that before. So yeah, better look very closely upon my next viewing. Uh, one of the things I've particularly picked up upon repeat viewings is that when James is slowing down to avoid the accident with the tree, his front wheels are not on the rails. Yes, his pony truck derails on that initial shot, and it's a goof. But that shot of Thomas's driver or fireman actually rotating around is actually goof because it was looking backwards in the original shot. But then as Thomas moves back, the head actually almost look vertically upwards to the sky. <laughs> look. Huh? A bit of an exorcism needed there. But I'm assuming it was unintentional mm. because you didn't secure the head properly. It could have been a fourth wall break. You could have heard the narrator's voice. Was like, is that you? Voice. <laughs> but there are plenty of amazing things in this episode. Of course, there's the industrial look of season five. 
Mm -hmm. uh, especially at the start, we get some like passing coal dust being blown in the wind. Season five really excels in its lighting. And there was plenty of amazing shots in here, such as the continuous shot of Henry's accident. Mm -hmm. Of course, you get a Henry's forest reference. You get... Terence speaking, and it's it's a humble role, but it's sort of suitable because it makes sense that he would be working there. And you get one of the best lines of dialogue ever in Thomas. When one of the troublesome trucks say to James, your colour's nice, James. Pity about your face, though. Oh! <laughs> absolute <Mike drops. laughs> savage troublesome trucks. That's like the most in-character insult I've heard from them. It's, it is the best bird of the entire show, I reckon. Oh, yeah. Scenery, especially with the trees, the moss and the greenery, it really makes it look like a wet, unstable sort of ground. Yes. There are a few things around here that are either head cannons or wishes. I feel like the climax was a bit anticlimactic. I don't think so. I mean, the tree's about to fall on him. You know, that's pretty tense. Yeah. I know, but maybe the music didn't do it justice, but it was built up and foreshadowed so much that I didn't get the payoff I feel it deserved. Maybe there should be some close-ups of wheels spinning dramatically, trying to reverse. You get a shot from the top of the tree looking down and waving towards James Ooh. as if it were about to crush that him. That would have been good. It just didn't feel like there was that much trouble at hand. Now, ratings. Ooh, uh, I'll lead off again. I do enjoy this episode. It was one of those ones that as a child, I don't believe I ever saw. And if I did, it would have been very fleetingly only once on television. But somehow it's a fan favorite. Everybody enjoys it. So I'm going to give James and the Trouble with Trees 7 out of 10. Okay. Ooh. Denim? Uh, 7. Okay, two sevens. <sighs> See, here's the thing. Oh, boy. <laughs> I do like this episode, but the entire episode is based around James and the Trouble with Trees, and it the Trouble with Trees doesn't have that satisfying a payoff for me, so I'm going to have to give it a five out of ten. I feel maybe another script rewrite and a bit more creative camera direction could have led to it being much higher. Hmm. Fair mm. enough. Fair enough, Master Jonas. We've reached a halfway point now, so it's time for us to jump into our regular musical interlude. And on this occasion, we're going to be playing something from Junction Productions. It's their Thomas and Friends remix of the much-loved song Africa by Toto. You are listening to the Right on Track podcast.
that was Junction Productions cover of Africa in the Thomas style, of course, by the song of the same name, Africa, by Toto. You're listening to the Right on Track podcast with Connor, Tom Parry, and Tom Denham, also known as Parry and Denham because two Toms make it difficult when talking about a show about a Tom. Yes. Hey. <laughs> so far, we have covered Lady Hat's birthday party and James and the Trouble with Trees, and we're going to move right on to Gordon and the Gremlins, and we're going to start right at the start of the episode where there seems to be gremlins lurking about the station. Early one morning, Gordon's fire would not light. I don't know what's wrong, sighed the firelighter. There must be gremlins about. What are gremlins? asked Percy. I've heard they're little green men who play tricks, replied Thomas. Can we find one? asked Percy. Pa, said James. Gremlins don't exist. They're just an excuse when things go wrong and no one knows why. If Firelighter says there are gremlins, there are, insisted Thomas. Ha! snorted James. The Fat Controller had heard everything. Silence, he said. I am expecting a VIP, a very important person today. She has heard that all my engines are really useful. Please prove it. Yes, sir, they all said. As long as the gremlins let us, added Percy. What gremlins? The ones in Gordon's fire, sir. That's why he's not ready yet. We'll see about that, thundered the Fat Controller. And he did. Gordon, I expect you to be on your best behaviour today. You are to pull the very special coach for my special visitor. But no high speeds, please. She won't like that. Gordon was proud and pleased. So the Fat Controller's heard enough, and we've heard enough too. Let's get into the synopsis of Gordon and the Gremlins. So as we hear, Gordon's fire is having trouble starting, and Thomas and Percy believe it could be Gremlins, and everyone else says stuff and nonsense, Gremlins don't exist. And then we learn from Sir Tom and Hat that a VIP is coming, a very important person, and he never says who it is, actually. And Gordon's job will be transporting the VIP today. It's Thomas who is tasked with bringing the VIP from the docks to Kirk Ronan Station. And the engines are left wondering who it is. And as Gordon's taking the VIP on a trip around the island, he takes her on a very bumpy old track. And because he's going too fast, the coach sways from side to side. It upsets his VIP. Toward the end of the day, it's time for the VIP to go home. So Gordon stops at Wellsworth. I knew I was missing something here. The VIP has a Dalmatian. She's got a dog. Yeah. A woof woof. A woof woof. Yes. Well, well, what happens is Gordon whistles, it runs away from Wellsworth stations, encounters a bull, and we know it's a bull because it's got, not only, not only does it have a ring around its nose and the horns, but it's also got family jewels, which are quite prominent. Um... <laughs> And you, and you can hear Champion's theme as well. So, after the dog is scared by the bull, he runs into Thomas's cab, and then they all travel back to the docks, and we learn from Sir Topham Hat himself that the VIP is his own mother, and this, therefore, is the first appearance of Sir Topham Hat's mum, who we later learn is called Dowager Hat. Dowager or Dowager? Dowager, I don't know. I haven't watched beyond, you know, season seven, so... <laughs> it's Dowager. I, I was just looking up the um, Wikipedia page, and it's just like, okay, that'll do. I think that's how it's pronounced, so... Okay, remind me, what's the correct pronunciation? Dowager. Dowager. 
Dowager. Okay. Dowager. Right. Dowager. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. Not oh, for Leviosa. goodness sake. <laughs> now, there is something that really annoys me about this episode. And that is, it is called Gordon and the Gremlin. However, the gremlins only seem to appear in half the episode in various issues. Gordon isn't even a part of the end of the episode. If anything, it's more so Thomas and the Gremlin because he is seen at the start, middle, and end of the episode, whilst Gordon is only the start and middle. You know what? It should just be called The Gremlin. Yeah. It's not an accurate title, and I did some timing. Gordon is on screen for roughly two minutes and 20-odd seconds, so about half the episode, Mm -hmm. and the remaining two minutes are taken up by Thomas and other characters, yet Thomas, I feel, has got a far more main role despite appearing in less of the episode Mm, i feel that this episode it's got a great premise it's got a great idea behind it but it's been really poorly conceived and poorly written because we've got this subplot in there about the vip not liking high speeds and then we go on the track at high speed and she's seen splishing about in the bathtub and That conflict is never addressed or resolved, really. We don't see the VIP admonishing Gordon for his fast speeds. We don't see Sir Topham admonishing Gordon for going fast. So, yeah, it makes you wonder why they even put that scene in there in the first place. And then again, with the Gremlins, it's like it's something at the beginning of the episode, they mention it at the end. The Gremlins are just used to sort of bookend the rest of the shenanigans that are happening. It's like, a lot happens, it's very memorable, but it's like, does it really go together not really it's a mishmash mishmash. of essentially tons of different parts it's a hodgepodge it's a licorice all sorts of stories you asked why they had the high speed scene but that scene there was the very reason this entire episode was written was it now It was actually inspired by the LMR railway story of when the Royal Train was late departing Euston Station Mm. in London. So to keep to time, it ran 100 miles per hour non-stop. Which was very fast back in the day. Oh, yeah. uh, 100 miles an hour non-stop across approximately 55 miles, 88 kilometres. And Mm. it was during that time when the bathwater by eyewitnesses inside the royal train, bounced so high it hit the roof of the carriage. (laughs) (laughs) I feel sorry for Her Majesty. But the issue here is that this entire story was written about that one instance. But that one instance has only got a, what, five-second mention, really? That's it. It's just this tiny little scene. And... It's built up, and then it's got not even a payoff. It's like watching a race car zoom past, but all of a sudden there's a brick wall and you can't see it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, you you know what's a perfect equivalent? There was a story about this man when the Flying Scotsman came back into service. That day it came back. This man set up his camera for it to go past. He set it all up. And then a commuter train went past to block the view. That's what this story's like. Yes. (laughs) The thing is, is that this episode, it builds up to it. It goes, there were gremlins about, there were all these issues. And then it's, okay, but what was the cause of these issues? No, it was just bad luck. 
Oh, okay, what about the high speed thing? Yeah, there was bath water. What happened? The dog got scared. Was that related? There was a bull. Hang on, where are... And the dog rode the cab. Okay, we're back to the dog now. And it's Dowager Hat. Sorry, where were we talking about? It is oh, very messy. It, yeah, it, it really is all over the place. It's also worth mentioning Michael Angelus is not really the best at doing animal impressions. I mean, his barking of the Dalmatian, it sounds very half-hearted. And I, as a child, I did not know what that noise was supposed to be. Yeah, same here. <laughs> like, I mean, hey, at least he gave an attempt. In Bullseyes, that actually just sampled cow sounds. There seems to be a pattern here of narrators of Thomas not being able to do good impressions. We get, moo. I don't want to hurt her. Animal noises are clearly not their forte. No. This is why they're on a show about talking trains. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> not talking animals, no. That'll never do. Oh, no. Goodness gracious. Never suit his grace. All right. So I think we've established we're not big fans of this episode, but with that said, I still enjoy it. Like, there's a certain charm to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's no- it's nice to look at. Aesthetically, it's nice. Mm. Yeah, it's nice to look at. It's, again, got plenty of great shots. If you look at each scene individually, each of them are wonderfully executed. Mm. There are also some questions left unanswered, like what was Gremlin the dog's real name? Did it even have a name? That dog Mm. is going to be so confused now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. They need to do a Lorelei from Gilmore Girls and like start with one name and slowly change it and slowly change it. I think that might be the most obscure reference we've thrown out on this show thus far. Gilmore Girls. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Next week, I'll throw out a reference to the 1967 show, The Prisoner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll put that out there. But the thing is, is that if you look at each individual part of this episode, it's good. But as an episode overall, it sorely lacks. Sorely. Because nothing links together. It seems like Thomas is the main character, but then Gordon's in it more. Like, I mean, rating-wise... I'm gonna have to give it a three. Oh, that's a bit harsh. Um, I'm mm. feeling slightly more generous than well, just about everybody today, really. So I'm looking at a six out of ten. Again, it's not perfect, but there's a charm to it. I enjoy it, and I keep returning back to it because hey, it, it's classic Thomas. What's not to love? Four. Four. Wow, I am being very generous today. <laughs> it would seem. Hey, hey, hey! I gave a nine with you before. Okay. Well, I, well okay. Fair, fair. This um, episode is where I draw the line. <laughs> it, it's right there. I saw that, yeah. There's a big line. In between you and me. Here I am. I have to watch all this drama. <laughs> we are fast running out of time here on this episode of Rise on Track, so we should jump straight into the fourth and final story of today, which is... By George. George was now enjoying himself. Ripping up rails, he chortled. What a life! What do you think of this, Thomas? Thomas took no notice. George felt insulted. You're a useless blue puffball, he shouted. But Thomas didn't hear. I'll show him who's boss. At last, the workman reached the level crossing. What shall we do here? Tear it up, tarmac it, said George. So they did, but not properly, and George knew it too. I didn't 
didn't realise that George had a certificate for in road laying. Yeah. Yeah, he, he seems quite good at it. Yeah, he, or, or he's saying, you know, we don't need to worry about the rails or anything like that. We just, you know, tear them up and tar back over them. You know, job done. There we are. The, the road's built. That's all he needed to worry about. He's that's, not paid to worry about the rails. That's exactly right. Okay, this is the third story in the television series to feature George. We first met him in Steamroll Season 4, which is my favourite story from the fourth season. And we also saw him again. In Lady Hat's birthday party, which we talked about at the very beginning of this episode. And now in By George, by the way, it's a very clever pun this episode. It's by, as in goodbye, followed by George. You know, it's a play on the phrase, by George. Um, uh, Anyway, I find that very interesting and amusing, but that's just Uh me. So, uh, Uh summary of the shenanigans is that George is picked up from the narrow gauge railway, the Scarlowy railway. Yes, yes, first appearance of the narrow gauge in uh, season five. Yes, and this would also be the final appearance of Scarlowy and Renaeus's, I guess you could say, season four look, their miniature look. Mm. Because once we come to the eighth episode of season five, We'll elaborate on that more. But Percy takes George away. George goes to his present job of laying the road. He comes across Thomas. Thomas ignores him. And then, of course, George, as we heard in the clip there, goes, I'll show you who's boss. And as Thomas is making the return trip on that same railway, he goes past the signal and says, oh, that's nice. We don't need to stop. And as it turns out, they did have to stop because with no rails, they just go over the tarmac, go down the embankment, and then smash straight into a giant chicken shed. Which is a resemblance to a future episode, Gordon Takes a Tumble. Ah. Yes. Very similar crash. It is indeed, actually. And what I also like is after the crash, we get another 4-4 break from Thomas the Tank Engine, who looks directly at the camera as if to say, Really? This happened? Yeah. I like. I thought I didn't need to stop. And look, look, why do you treat me this way, right? <laughs> the chicken sound effects just, like, make this scene, I reckon. But yes, mm. after that accident with the sheds, yes. uh, George is working in Crosby Yard. He is, and he comes across Duck, who wants to be let through, and he can't be because George is blocking the track. And as it happens, one of Duck's trucks is still on the main line. Gordon powers through. Of course, he's unable to stop in time, so he runs into the truck. The truck flies up into the air, comes back down, it disintegrates, basically. It's a troublesome truck no more. Reduced to atoms. Very much so. And Gordon's worried that the Fat Controller's cross with him, but as it turns out, the Fat Controller is more cross with whoever caused the accident. He finds out it's George, and at the end of the episode, George is turned into uh, what can only be described as a makeshift generator. Yeah. Yeah, and his punishment is to spend a week as a stationary boiler slash flywheel Mm. for a week at what I can assume is a lumberyard. Yes, it's a less macabre punishment than Smudger got in Series 4 of the show, but still, the Fat Controller, he comes down hard. Oh, he does. Oh, yeah. And even on the 2006 website of Thomas... Uh, it even says that George had his roller taken away for a while after this episode. Oh. Ah, 2000. You have a memory from the Thomas the Tank Engine website 14 years ago, Connor. Uh, not only that, there's a thing called the Wayback Machine. Oh, yeah, of course, the Internet Archive. I keep forgetting that's, that's a thing. It's amazing. 
But the thing is, is that that means that he essentially took away one of his legs. Because with, you know, steamrollers, the roller is literally in the name. It's important that they have the big round roller in front of them, like rolling Bob the Builder. But the thing Mm. is, once you take that away, then it's just a... A talking machine. Yeah. That's it. Mm. Um, I have to say, I really adore this episode. I love the insults Mm. that are thrown back and forth. I've already mentioned the comedy that's in there. Character interactions. The character interactions, exactly. The dialogue between the engines. We get a very small chat between Thomas and Percy. There's also one between Percy and Gordon. You've got George talking to Duck, which is something I'd never picture. Yeah. Yes. I I love the accidents, of course. The accidents are great. There's comedic timing. The truck wouldn't move until Gordon forced it. (laughs) By accident. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's just so much fun. Oh, oh. We haven't mentioned the important bit. Guess who is at fault for not warning Thomas about the Ashfelds over the level crossing? It would be the workman. No, 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 no. It's our old friend. Come on, guys, our old friend. You know who I'm talking about. The signalman. That's <laughs> right, because the signalman didn't change the signal to inform Thomas of the stupid road lane procedures. I've got my rant prepared here. I've got it written out. Oh, I'm, I'm... okay, here we go. Looking forward to this. Now, signalmen are bad, but as I watched this episode, I thought maybe road workers are worse because <laughs> they just decide to pave over an active line, an active level crossing where they've seen engines pass over. George even saw Thomas pass over. In fact, he even calls Thomas a blue, blue puffball, ball. which seems to be a line that's used further on in a movie that we don't have time to talk <laughs> about now. But. Then what happens after going, oh, that line is paved over, it goes, the signalman didn't warn Thomas, which means that the signalman knew that the line was being paved over. He didn't warn Thomas. He didn't stop the signalman. He didn't think to call anyone to go, by the way, the level crossing here has been paved over. Maybe don't send a train down here. And how long? Because asphalt, it takes, you know, a while for it to actually settle down and become solid enough so that when a massive steam locomotive goes barreling over it, it's actually able to bump them off the track instead of the engine just driving through it, which means that it's been sitting there solid for a long time when other engines could have been going the other way. So overall, this signalman is not only incompetent, he's done irreparable damage to Thomas, some poor farmer's house, an entire station has been admolished now, and the thing is, that signalman doesn't even need to work there anymore, because we see the track Thomas working on is a single line track, which therefore means they only need signals either way, which means that the only reason that there would originally be a signal box there in the first place is for the level crossing, which is now just a regular level crossing. So overall, this signalman has done tons more damage than anyone else. And the only reason why is because he was asleep and he didn't think to go, do trains need rails? Hey, he had a big knife. excuse denim that's no excuse um while um <laughs> connor's taking a breather i think um i should uh, just address a couple of points he's made uh first of all as you say yes asphalt doesn't set quickly at all it's not like super glue it takes a good day or so for it to truly settle down and also 
why are the construction men, why are the road workers taking advice from George on how to build roads? I mean, surely they're qualified enough to know what to do on their own. Did no one stop to think, hey, there's a line here? Hmm. Well, they did. They, they, they said to themselves, well, what do we do here? Before you go into any big project, even during the 50s, the 40s, the 30s, you have to plan out especially when you're dealing with live infrastructure. Hmm. So there had to be a plan somewhere going, when you come across a level crossing, you use it. And was this line still sort of in use? Because as they were working on the road and George was ripping up rails, even though his job isn't even to rip them up, it's to also push them further into their place. Mm. What then occurs is they just see Thomas go by and they didn't stop to think, maybe we shouldn't pave over this. It's 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 ridiculous. Mm. But there, there is more bad news to this episode, which yes. is it's George's last speaking role. Much like Caroline a few episodes prior, he doesn't speak again. He makes some appearances, but he doesn't talk. Mm. But yes, apart from the Signalman era, ratings. Well, look, let's be fair. There are a lot of moments in here that defy logic, and you just wonder, how do these people even have a job on this island? But look, there's a lot of great moments in here. I enjoy this story immensely, so I'm going to give it a... You know what? Let's be generous. Let's give it a 9 out of 10. Ooh. Okay. Like, this episode, there are some parts that do defy logic. In fact, there's even anti-gravity if we count the truck that defies logic. <laughs> True. <laughs> but it is a solid episode. It has got tons of interesting character interactions with Thomas, Percy, Duck, Gordon, all having some kind of interaction with George. And there is a nice resolution with George actually having a punishment. Yeah. One that actually stops him from causing trouble. It's very old school. Yes, with like the last time we saw a punishment like this was when the three big engines went on strike in the shed. So, yeah, I, I, I'm going to give this episode a seven. Mm. Yeah, those are some solid scores there. There's a lot that I like about it. As you say, it does defy logic, but when was logic important? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe we shouldn't be um, bringing logic into a show about talking trains, but I think that's a discussion for another time. Oh, absolutely. They're real. We know they're real. Have <laughs> been today out with Thomas. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really like this episode. It was one of those weird enigmas that I didn't see until a lot later, and there was a lot of mystery around it. But it is really nice seeing a character who only gets a handful of Railway Series stories get a bit more development. And you kind of get to see a bit of everything. You get to see the narrow gauge engines, you get to see the mainline engines and the branch line engines, all surrounded by this one tyrannical steamroller. So... I'm going to give it a 9.5. Ooh. I think that's the closest we've got to a perfect score so far on this season from an individual. Yes, yes. But I'm afraid we won't get any more scores this episode because we have come to the end of it. That is true. So just uh, as a reminder, the stories we reviewed today were Lady Hat's Birthday Party, James and the Trouble with Trees, Gordon and the Gremlin, and by George. And in our next episode of Right on Track, which will be episode 35 overall, 
we've got a special guest in Headmaster Hastings, the very person who composed a new theme for our podcast and will be reviewing these stories Bar, Put Upon Percy and Toby and the Flood. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, me too. It's going to be great. Definitely. But until that time comes, I'm still Connor. I'm still Parry. And I'm still Denim. And this has been the Right on Track podcast. Adios, guys. Bye-bye. See you later. You've been listening to the Right on Track podcast, hosted by Tom Parry, Connor Jonas, and Tom Denham. To keep up to date and on schedule with Right on Track, you can follow them on their various social media platforms. Platform 1 is Facebook. Facebook.com slash Right on Track Thomas Podcast. Platform 2 is Instagram. Sin underscore Right on Track. Platform 3 is Twitter at OnTrack Thomas. Platform 4 is email. Right on Track Thomas at gmail.com. On platform 5. For more show details, visit sim.org.au slash right on track Thomas Podcast. Luffy was composed by Headmaster Hastings, edited by Paul Jonas, produced by Sim Media.